0: Now that he has gotten his feet under him a little bit at his newest summer law internship, the second one of the summer, is my co-host Curtis. I'm definitely excited to have him back with me today. And we have another awesome batch of your questions to answer on yet another Mailbag Monday edition of the Glory UGA podcast. But first, I do want to throw a couple of shout-outs out there to those listeners that left us our most recent five star reviews on Apple Podcasts, a huge thank you to RMC Lucas, Matt Smalling88, and Big Dog Block, who all not only gave us a five star rating, but also took the time to write us some very nice reviews. Guys, we really, really do appreciate that. And it is extraordinarily helpful to us as we continue to try and grow this thing. We are at 260 reviews right now on Apple Podcasts. I know not all of you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, but I think most, I actually I know most of our listeners do based on the stats that we get. But while that's a great number, 260 for a podcast like ours, that's awesome, but we would love to get that number even higher. We are shooting for the modest goal of 275 five-star reviews by the start of the 2021 season. I think we can do that. I think we can do it. I think we can do this. You guys are up for it, right? You guys have been so amazing supporting our podcast over the years. We've tried to bring you the best content we can all year long over the past seven years without any breaks. I mean, that's one thing I will say about our show. I don't know if it's the best show in the world. We give it our best shot, but we don't take any any off days. We don't take weeks off. We don't take months off. When football season's over, we don't wait until the next summer rolls around. We're with you guys all year long. We want to give you that Georgia football, that Georgia sports fix all year long. We know you guys want you. We know that you're like us. We're like you and you need that, right? So we try our best to have that for you guys all year long. But even though we give our best shot, I mean, the reality is this show exists because of you guys. It's not really because of us. It exists because of the support each and every one of you have shown us over the years and we are tremendously grateful for that. But we still need your help. We need your help to meet the goal of 275 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you have not yet had a chance to rate and or review the show, I promise it's a quick, easy process, and we would be incredibly grateful if you would help us out with that. All right, Curtis, we've got nine or ten questions or so today to cover, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it, and we're going to start with what I think is a really interesting question from Thomas. So, Thomas, we really appreciate you sending this one in. And what Thomas asked, Curtis, is that if you were the athletic director, making a football coaching hire at a power five school and your search committee narrows the list down to Kirby smart or Dabo Swinney, which coach are you taking to lead your program for the next 20 years? So kind of like a scenario based question here, Curtis, but I think this is kind of interesting because obviously I think the average college football fan would say Dabo Swinney because they've won national championships, multiple national championships under his watch, while Kirby still has yet to get over the hump, obviously, as we all well know. But I'm curious your take here. Do you agree with what I think is probably the general consensus among like most college football fans out there, or might you lean a different direction?
2: I would probably go with the rest of college football and the fact that, you know, realistically, Dabo has done it. Um, and I think that's the biggest reason why I would go with him. He's won at the biggest stage. And Clemson was good before he got there, but he's taken them to a whole new level. And until like, Kirby has done it with recruiting for us and everything like that. But until he takes us to the level of where Clemson's at consistently right now, I'd probably still go with him.
0: And, and that's fair. It's, it is hard to argue against that. It really is. But I am going to try to play devil's advocate here. Let me ask you this. All right. Devo's winning clearly multiple national championships, I think two national titles, right, in his time, which is great. That's fantastic. He's right up there among the best coaches in the country. But just because he's won the national titles, does that like automatically make him like a better football coach? Well, until Kirby has proven that he can
2: win the big game, which I think has always been the knock on him right now, then yes.
0: Would you say Ed Orgeron's a better football coach than Kirby Smart?
2: I wouldn't say it, but the fact of the matter is he has won the big game when we still have yet to do it. Like, I mean, yeah. realistically, when, when we're talking about the 20 years, I mean, Dabo's taken Clemson and is kept them at the top where coach O hasn't, uh, I mean, he really stepped back and maybe he gets them going back this year, but realistically Dabo has kept them at the top.
0: Yeah. He's done a fantastic job, but the the part I'm looking at here is like, okay, into the future. Clearly Dabo is more accomplished than Kirby smart right now. You can't even argue that point. I mean, that's just straight up. 100% fact. He's a more accomplished coach in terms of what he has won than Kirby smart is case closed there. But if I'm looking to the future, And I'm trying to say, okay, which one of these coaches, if I hire them today, is going to lead my program to more success over the next 20 years? I think you can make a pretty strong argument for Kirby Smart. All right. Now, you don't have the proof that he can do it. You have the proof with Dabo. It's hard to argue against that. But here's the case I would make. I guess I guess this is against Dabo, I I guess. But as successful as he has been. What are the factors that have really led to that success? Is it just because Dabo's a Great better football coach, or is there more at play?
2: Well, Dabo has had better quarterback play, and I think that's yep. the biggest thing. And right now, that's probably been one of the biggest knocks on Kirby is his quarterback decision-making. Like You have to see him go out there and make the correct decision, where you know Dabo made the very tough decision that one year of benching Kelly Bryant for Trevor really? Lawrence. Um, he did. I mean, I, that may have been a no-brainer, but the fact of the matter is he made that tough decision. Until we see Kirby kind of put it together with the personnel at the same time, yeah. I think that's why I go with him.
0: And, and the quarterback thing, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, because I think that's what a lot of people point at, is say, well, Kirby had a, a Trevor Lawrence-type quarterback and Justin Fields, and he let him go because he didn't make the decision. The tough decision that, as you just said, that Dabo Sweeney made by benching Kelly Bryan in favor of Trevor Lawrence. Well, I think the, sure the biggest thing
2: is maybe, maybe Justin Fields wasn't as advanced as Trevor Lawrence, but the fact of the matter is he did he nothing not to work him into them and I think that was the that's my knock is he just did nothing to try to develop I mean maybe in practice and everything but situations they didn't do enough other than when he came in just to hand the ball off
0: yeah I mean I think we've gone over this a million times but just to kind of recap for people maybe are new and haven't heard to say this but like yeah look if the offense that we were asking our quarterbacks to run 2018 well Justin or Jay Fromm was better equipped to run that offense so but if you think that Justin Fields has a higher ceiling and your offense has higher potential with him. Maybe you alter the offense to fit his skills a little bit more. And we didn't do really any of that. So I think that's a fair knock there. That is a fair knock. Let me ask you this too, Curtis. If these coaches are Kirby smart and Dabo Swinney, if they would have switched roles over the past six or seven years or whatever, would the outcomes have been different for either program? Like would we have won a national title at Georgia with Dabo Swinney as our coach? Uh, and then on the flip side, would Clemson not have won those titles if Kirby Smart was their coach?
2: I do question if Clemson would have won him with him as the coach, just being the fact is that it's taken Kirby so long to open a more open offense as to what Clemson has kind of ran. Um, they haven't ran as much of the ground and pound for as long as we did.
0: True. Th- th- absolutely. And that's and that's something that Kirby – I mean, you can't take that back. Those and, years and are maybe, gone.
2: And maybe even with Fromm, we saw it. He was always better in the shotgun hurry-up system. Um, instead of under center and some of the things that we tried to do with him, so I think that Dabo has shown a better degree of putting people in a position to be successful than Kirby had done, especially at that time.
0: At that time, fair to yeah, I think that they that's fair. That's fair. Maybe Kirby because you know, it always was-
2: seemed like you know, well, it always seemed like think back to all those times Georgia we'd score, steal a field goal or touchdown right before the half, and that's because all of a sudden we put him in Jake in a great position to be successful and hurry up, but yet then the rest of the game, we didn't always do that. It's like, it just, I always found it interesting that we'd always steal points close to the half because we do that system and run it really well. And then we wonder like, why aren't we doing that more?
0: Yeah. I I think that like, that's a very fair criticism of Kirby Smart and his kind of keeping his fingerprints on the offense for so long. However, what I would say against that is I think he's finally taking him too long. I think he's finally figured that out and our offense is poised. We'll have to see it this year. But I'm very confident we're going to see a very different type of Georgia offense And Kirby Smart has realized that he needed to evolve on that side of the ball. So if you're looking at, okay, who am I going to hire in the next 20 years? I think Kirby's finally figured that out. So if I'm looking, okay, who who do I hire? I don't know if that's going to be a problem with Kirby moving forward. Maybe it would be. I don't know. Maybe, again, you have more proof with Dabo there. But I I think Kirby's finally figured that out. And I I just don't think, honestly, I don't think if Dabo Sweeney was our coach over the last decade or whatever – I don't think we would have won national a uh, national title with him. I really don't. I don't think he would have changed a thing. Would have changed the game for us unless he had Trevor Lawrence or uh, maybe or he wouldn't Watson. have had maybe wouldn't
2: have had Malcolm Parish in there. That's not the only thing I could hope. <laughs> true, true.
0: Well, that was the guy that we inherited. I mean, we, he had, I mean, the fact that Kirby went yeah, to national title game in year two didn't win it, but came within an eyelash of winning it in year two. And Dabo, I mean, I don't want to say they were going to run him out of town his first three years, but it took him a while to get to the point where they were even coming close to competing for titles. But he's won them. Fair. He has. I want to throw this out there, too. I think this has to be part of the conversation. And this is why I say, like, I don't know if Dabo would have changed the equation for us all that much if we flipped roles and he was a coach of Georgia. Because I think a big part, maybe even the biggest part of all their success, and there's a lot of reasons they've been successful. You mentioned quarterback play. That's a huge part of it. Dabo is a good coach. But I think the biggest part of their success that we haven't mentioned is the fact that they play in the ACC. And they have risen in that conference at a time when all their usual suspect challengers, Florida State, Miami, whoever, Virginia Tech, they all fell on hard times. So there has essentially been no challenger in the ACC. They won six straight ACC titles. Let's go back and look at who they played in those six straight titles. They played number eight UNC, who wasn't really a top 10 team back however many years ago that was. Number 19, Virginia Tech. Number seven, Miami. Uh, an unranked pit team, number 22, Virginia, and then last year, number two, Notre Dame, probably the first legit team that they played in their, in their ACC title game. Compare that to who we've had to play in the ACC title game the three times we've gotten there. Number four, Auburn, number one, Bama, number one, LSU. All right? So I think the fact that they had a e- clearly an easier path to get to the college football playoff has certainly played a role in that. Is that, is that at least a fair argument to throw out there? Oh, it
2: is. Um, and I think, I mean, we. Are, I don't want to bring in the assistant coaches because, yeah, he's got it humming now with Elliott and Venables. But there was a time they gave up 70, almost 70 points in a ballgame and had to fire people.
0: West Virginia, yeah. But they've had so much con- – and that's another big part of their success is they've had so much continuity in that coaching staff since that point. They really have. I guess this goes going back. Like The reason I bring up the ACC is I'm saying, like, look, Kirby Smart has been very successful for a young coach. I mean, it's, we forget he's like five years into his head coaching career. In the toughest conference in all of college football, having to go up against Nick Saban in his own conference, the greatest college football coach of all time, he has not only does he have to get back. It's not having to 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 he has to get past him to win national title. He's got to get past him just to even get into the playoff. And if you look, I mean, yeah, I know Clemson has they and give Dabo credit. They have they have gotten past the Bama Mountain. They've climbed that mountain and they've beaten a couple of times. They've also lost to Bama a couple of times. So let's say. They've lost to Alabama twice in the college playoff. Well, if they were in the SEC and they had to play Alabama in the SEC title game, that's two times that Clemson doesn't even make the playoff probably, right? And then if you put yeah, Kirby yeah. over in the ACC playing against yeah. Pitt in the, in the ACC title game, number 22 for Jim, the ACC title game, I think that you're going to make a sharp argument that Kirby Smart with Clemson pro- in, in that conference probably would have made the college playoff three or four times in that span, at least. Whereas Dabo, I, I'm thinking off the top of my head, and, and also LSU, they lost to LSU. So 2019, they had to play in the in the ACC title game. They probably don't get in. That's three times: two against Bama, one against LSU. Where Clemson's not even in the, or we wouldn't be, even be in the national playoff if Dabo was our coach because they couldn't beat them. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I I, I I totally see it.
0: I don't know. So it, it's tough. Like it's if you're you're you make an awesome point here. And it's hard to argue against Dabo because he does have that proven success. But I, I don't know. If you're the AD, it would take some guts to make this out because he hasn't won the, uh, the actual title yet. But if I'm looking like – if I'm trying to project 20 years down the road, I, I think I might go with Kirby Smart. And I, I know people are sitting there shaking their head calling me a homer. But, look, we know that Kirby Smart is clearly 100% the better recruiter. And I've made it very clear on this show many times over the years that I think players are the number one factor for success – if you're trying to win a national title. Yeah, coaching's a, a factor, of course. you got to have good coaches. We know that. But if you don't have the players, you're not winning. I don't care how good of a coach you are. Matt Campbell's a fantastic coach at Iowa State. Guys, I know Iowa State, he's, he's really elevated that program. They ain't winning a national title because they don't have the players up and down the roster for that. They can win a lot of games. You can elevate their team, elevate the program. They're not going to win national title because they don't have the players. So Kirby is going to always out-recruit Dabo like It's been pretty much the rule since he's taken over as the head coach of Georgia. Over the last five years, on average, we finished number two in the rankings. They finished number eight. They recruit really well. They don't recruit at our level. Kirby's a better recruiter. I would also argue, like, in just like terms like being a football coach, like coaching the position schematically from a technical standpoint. I think Kirby's a better football coach. Is that crazy? Like in terms of actually coaching players.
2: No, that's not crazy because I don't think Dabo's ever a coordinator before he took over.
0: No, he wasn't. He was a wide receiver coach and then he like he. Left for a year. I think I'm pretty sure he was either selling insurance or a car salesman. One of those two. And and again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to diminish what Dabo has done. He's done a great job, but Dabo is not like an X's and O's mastermind. He's not one of those kind of guys. I think maybe his greatest strength, you mentioned earlier, Curtis, he's hired really good coordinators and he's gotten out of their way and let them do their thing. Kind of take on that CEO role, which is something Kirby that has been a weakness of Kirby's to a degree offensively, because he's kind of held us back a little bit, trying to keep the offense a little bit more conservative to kind of fit his defensive background over the years. I think he's moved beyond that, but that has hurt us in the past, you know, the his first couple of years as a coach. And really, I think the fact that he wasn't a coordinator, maybe he wasn't beholden to any specific system or scheme, which allowed him to go get those coordinators and let them do their thing. That's worked really well for them. But if you're asking like, who's a better coach, X's and O's scheme guy, like it, it's hands down, Kirby smart, hands down, Kirby smart. And he's hands down the better recruiter. So if I if I'm just looking ahead now that Kirby's learned, I think through his first four or five years here on the job, and he's kind of let go of the offense thing a little bit, understood he has to evolve more. I think if you're asking me 20 years down, like in the next 20 years, who do I want? I might go with Kirby, man. I might go with Kirby. I I, I know that I know it's sounds blasphemous to people who are saying what well, he hasn't won, you know, he hasn't even won one national title yet. That was when he's won multiple times. He's been in the college playoff like what, four straight times, something like that. But if you're asking me, like, just project down the, down the road a little about 20 years, like the question I asked from Thomas, I think I might go Kirby here. Better recruiter. I think a better actual football coach. And, you know, look, Nick Saban's not going to be around forever. That's That's been the hurdle. He's going to be around for a while. Nick Saban's probably going to coach until he dies. But we are going to get over that Bama hurdle at some point. I don't know when it's going to happen. I hope it happens this year. And when that happens, I think – the lid is going to be blown off of this program. We just have to do it. And people forget it took Dabo, it took them three or four years to get that program to where they were actually winning ACC titles then going to the playoff. Remember they lost to Bama a couple of times, and then they finally beat Bama got over that 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 hurdle, and now they're winning multiple national titles. So we got to remember, Kirby Smart still – I mean, I know we all want it because we're so starved for success here, but he's still really, really young in terms of being a head football coach, and I think he's shown growth. And over the next 20 years, I think he might be the guy I would take here. All right, moving on. Uh, let's take a, uh, another Kirby Smart question here, Curtis. This is from Kyle. Thanks for the question, man. We appreciate it. He asks, uh, we all know Kirby Smart is one of the best recruiters in the country, as we were just talking about. But what has been his biggest recruiting miss? Ah, that's a good question, Curtis. So off the top of your head here, I mean, there's been a couple. Biggest recruiting miss. Who would you go with? Oh."
2: That's a oh that's a real tough one.
0: Um, this is a, I mean there's a couple that come to mind for me. Uh, if you think back, Derek Brown. Say Tank Tank that, that's a, that's the first. That's me. That my mind goes straight to Tank Bigsby because I think Tank Bigsby is the best running back in the SEC. I think he will be in 2021. I think he's the best back. I've been watching Auburn take getting ready for this guy in the enemy episode. And I just watch him. and I'm just mesmerized. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is the total package at running back. He moves effortlessly. He makes you miss in the hole. He runs with good power, great pad level. It's a weapon on the back throw in the passing game. This guy is as good of a running back as there is in college football, in my opinion. And, and I say this is a miss because we could have had him, right, Kurt? Oh, yeah. Easily could have had him. He wanted to come to Georgia. But we chose Zach Evans over Tank Bigsby. And we all know what ended up happening with Zach Evans. I don't want to rehash all that. We all know that that went up in smoke and he got all the off-the-field issues and issues with his coaches and whatnot, and now he's at TCU. He's not at Georgia. We kind of parted ways there. And you can say, well, how, well Georgia didn't, couldn't have known that was going to happen. Yeah, we could have because he had some baggage all, all along in his recruitment. Like when we decided to take his commitment over Tank Bigsby, we knew there was baggage. He had already been in trouble with his coaching staff before. It wasn't a, a, a new thing for us when that, that hit right at the uh, – what was it? The Under Armour All-American game, I want to say. it was the Army. I think it was the Under Armour game. That wasn't a new thing. That, had, that kind of stuff had been happening with him for a while, and we decided that he, his talent was worth the risk, even though we had a guy in Tank Bisbee right in our backyard. who wanted to come to Georgia. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't Zach Evans coming out of high school, but if you go back a couple of years, I was arguing back then – He's not that far off. There's not much of a gap there. This guy is in state. He's not a risk. He wants to play with for you. You don't have to worry about him decommitting and playing the drama game. You don't have to worry about any of that. And we decided that now we just want to go with Zach Evans. And then when the whole thing blew up with Zach Evans, we tried to turn back to Tang. It's too late, man. Of course. Like, you know, he he resented it. He was resentful. I get it. I would have been too. Home state school, you want to play with them? They told you to wait. And they think they like this guy more than you. And then he ends up, you know, blowing it. No, I mean, I get why he went to all. I think it's, you know. I would have stayed with Georgia, you know, sometimes you like to get over yourself. But I understand why he decided to go to Auburn. It sucks for him because Auburn's just they're, – they're Auburn. They suck. But I think that's probably the biggest miss. Derek Brown, would that be a big one? That was Kirby's first class yeah, in 2016. I'm, but I
2: don't feel like that was per se as mi- a miss as much as it was. Like I'm thinking of people he could have gotten that he didn't.
0: Yeah, and Kirby was trying to piece that class together at the very end that was his that was when he kind of took over late in the process and was still coaching for alabama trying to piece that class together. that one's a tough one um what about rashad bateman remember that dude at um he would end up going to minnesota and he was i do kid? i think
2: that had more to do also with the client i believe that was his first year wasn't it or his second I, year
0: i think it was 2000. i want to say it was 2018 well
2: the biggest thing is Bateman took everyone by surprise, not just Georgia.
0: No, we, no one knew he was going to be that good. But he's a guy that I think we could have got. He ends up going to Minnesota, um, but I don't know. That's not. I mean, he, and he was a really good player, a really good receiver. We needed receivers, so that that's why I, that one comes to mind for me. He's out of Tipp County because we had issues with receivers, and he's over Minnesota. Up in Minnesota, just balling out, going to the NFL. Was he a first round draft pick, first or second? Right? I
2: can't remember because he sat out most of the year. And I think yeah,
0: he, he 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 opted out. But I want to say he was he was the first or second. I think he was like the 27th or 28th pick, something like that in the draft. But I think he was the first-round pick. We need receivers. We know that. So that one kind of hurts. But I think, t- to me, I know we're loaded at running back, and so maybe that kind of cushions that blow a little bit. But Tanks big, Bigsby, guys, I mean, I'm serious. I-, I truly believe he's the best running back in the SEC, maybe the best running back in the country this year. I think the world of that guy. I think he's insanely good. Mm-hmm. So I think th- if you're talking about misses, I think that's a, that's a pretty big one there. That's a relatively recent miss. Yeah, I mean, but Kirby, you know, this is a good question though because we always you know pump up Kirby as a recruiter. He's a fantastic recruiter. I think the best recruiter in the country. But no one's perfect. Even Kirby Smart misses on some guys. The evals, however, you you, you want to look at it, it, sometimes he misses. But they all miss some, and I think Tank Bigsby is the one that hopefully won't come back to hurt us too much. because We have great running backs in, in our own right, but man, think about our running back room with him in there right now. Oof, oof, that's that's tough, man. That's tough.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All
0: right, moving on here. That's another good question, Curtis. This is one we could spend a long time on, but let's try to get through this. As, I don't want to say as quickly as we can, but. We got a lot to get to today. This is from Paul. Really appreciate this. Paul, it's a great question. And what Paul says is that the conventional wisdom throughout the offseason has been that our offense is going to take a big step forward, while our defense, thanks to attrition, is likely to take a step back, particularly in the secondary. But given what we have on the defensive line, along with the recent additions of Tyke Smith and Darian Kendrick, not to mention Will Muschamp, that's a very underrated part of this. Will Muschamp for sure. I'll, kind of behind the scenes there. How likely do you think it is that our defense does not take much of a step back at all in 2021? What do you think, Kurt? We are hearing all this about the offense and how it's going to be so much better. We've talked about that. We've kind of pumped that up, but the defense, there's a lot, especially in the secondary, a lot of the inexperience there is people concerned. Do you expect us to take a step back? Do you expect us to be as good as we have been?
2: Expect us to be about where we are. Um, because I think the biggest thing is people had all this, this huge expectation, um, before the addition of Darion Kendrick and Tyke Smith and people like
0: that. Let me just ask you, where are the holes in this defense right now? Now that we've got Tyke Smith, we got Darion Kendrick, who are going to shore up the secondary. Now we're going to have one guy who's going to be uh, a first-year starter at cornerback more than likely, almost certainly. Whoever is going to be, Amir Speed, could be Healy Ringo, Jalen Kimber, could be a number of different guys. But outside of like maybe that one spot, like where is the weakness? What's the deficiency in this defense?
2: That's what I'm saying. And we have a strength that we've never had, and that's at the defensive line.
0: Yeah. And we've, we've had all these players for a couple of years now, but the fact is they're all back. They're all healthy, a year older, a year more experienced. They actually get to have an entire offseason without having to worry about COVID to get better and to work out, all those kind of things. I've heard that Jordan Davis around town is in the best shape that he's ever been in. So, like, look, we're going, to, we're going to dominate against the run again. That is not going to change. We are going to be dominant Against the run, and we're going to be able to do it against even boxes with even numbers. We're not going to have to roll safety down down in the box. That's one of the reasons. Like even when before we got Kendrick and Tyke Smith, I'm not going to say I was not concerned about the inexperience in secondary. You got to be concerned when you're potentially having to look at starting two guys at cornerback that have never really played any meaningful snaps at all for you. That's concerning. But now that's not really a problem. But even before that, my thing was we with our defensive front, our front seven, we are going to be so capable of stopping the run with even numbers, with even boxes, that we are going to be allowed to play with middle-of-the-field open coverage those two high-safety looks and be able to play three defenders over two receivers, two defenders over one receiver. We're going to be able to bracket guys and do some different from coverage standpoint to take the pressure off those guys.
2: I honestly think, too, this is our best inside linebacker group we've ever had.
0: I think hands down. I mean, Roqu- it's hard to say that some of the Roquan Smith wasn't the best inside linebacker group, but, but I, I think, think like Reggie like, Carter, love Reggie Carter. Appreciate you, man. He he's, he wasn't. Reggie Carter was pretty good.
2: Reggie Carter and Nate Chesh Patrick can't hold a, a candle to our two or three.
0: No. If you're looking at, obviously, Quay Walker... N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall. And look, I'm telling you guys, Ryan Davis, remember that name. Watch out. He's going to be in the rotation, man. We're going to have a four-man rotation. Ryan Davis might really surprise some people. So I think we are – I think you're right, Kirst. a great point. I think we are as good as we've ever been an inside linebacker under Kirby Smart. At least as talented as we have been at inside linebacker as a total unit under Kirby Smart I would argue, if not the best defensive line in the country, one of the two to three best defensive lines in the country. Just you know, for argument's sake, let's say best two or three, and you match that up with two really ex- two experienced safeties. Now, with Lewisine, Chris Smith got a full, basically a half a year as a starter back there, back there, and I really love what I saw from him in that five or six games of of starting experience got tyke smith coming in who was the third best slot coverage grade of the last two years best coverage grade last year sixth highest rate db overall last year uh we've thrown out some of these numbers before did not even give up one play of 15 or more yards last year was targeted 38 times in coverage allowed just 110 total yards 2.89 yards per attempt i mean he's lights out i mean i think i think you're gonna i think honestly we've upgraded the star position i really believe that darion kendrick two-year starter at clemson who's still just learning that position he's been he was I know there were some high profile moments where he wasn't necessarily great against some of the better competition, some of the better teams that they played. But you gotta remember, he was a receiver that was converted to cornerback and played at a really high level after moving that position for the first time. Now he's out Will he he's got Kirby Smart, he's got Jamila Die that are coaching him up in a, in a way I think he was not necessarily coached up at Clemson. I don't think they had as good DB coaching there as he's going to have here at Georgia. Now he's in his third year as a starter, but hopefully I think he's going to be a starter. I think you're going to see a different Darion Kendrick. So I'm really excited. I just don't know where the holes are right now. I really, really do not know where those holes are. I think we're going to be just as good, if not potentially better than we were last year. I think we might be a better rush in the past If we can keep Adam Anderson on the field, isn't it realistic that we might be even better creating havoc in the backfield?
2: I think so. I think one thing you talked about, how we have more trust with our DBs, is going to allow us to not feel like we have to drop our linebackers in the coverage as much.
0: Yeah, we just have so many different guys that fill so many different roles. There's just so much versatility in that defense that we can really keep it fresh and keep the offenses off balance. We just do a lot of different things to mix and match based off whatever offense you're playing, what they do well. We can do a lot of different things. We have a lot of different a lot of tools at our disposal to make offenses play left-handed. And that's invaluable. That's what you got to do. You can't take away everything as a defense coordinator. You just can't. Offenses are too advanced now. But what you got to do is make them do what they're not good at and make them beat you doing what they're not good at. And that's easier said than done if you don't have the pieces that you can move around to do that. We have so many different guys that, that can fill so many different roles and do different things that we have the ability to make teams play left-handed and force them to beat us that way. And I just – I think we're going to be just as good, honestly, maybe even better than we were last year. I know that sounds crazy, but I think we might have, have a chance, have a chance there. All right, moving on here, I a question from Jonathan. We, we've touched on this a little bit, Kurt, so I think this is an interesting way to look at it. So Jonathan, appreciate it, man. Jonathan asks, where does this season rank under the most natty or bust preseasons for you? And then wh- each season? tell us why each season you felt so high on the team that certain year, including this year. So, Curtis, like, first off, let me just ask you, is it national title or bust in 2021 for you? I think it is, yes. Why? I think the biggest
2: thing is you got to look at the offseason additions. Um, adding Tyke Smith, adding Darion Kendrick, um, adding a Rick Gilbert. Yeah, you lost Piggins, but you add Gilbert, which was huge. Um, and I think the biggest thing is it's one of the first times we've had, a, in my opinion, a stud quarterback returning, and we have some continuity with the offense um, especially play calling wise in a direction that we've just never have had.
0: I hesitate to say national Tyler bus, cause there's so much luck involved in that, but, but I think nowadays it's good. almost
2: always national Tyler bus. Like no one wants to just go out and win right. the or anything. I mean, I think every team it, it's either I national think, Tyler yeah. bus for anyone.
0: I think, but I think some programs is more realistic than others. Like, like Iowa state, I know they want to say it's national. Yeah, Tyler people bus. Iowa state a, a better
2: chance to win it than us. I think, I mean, I think that's absolutely ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I, I will say that. Like, I guess I would lean towards saying this is a national title or bust season. I, I think I would say that because and here's why, because we've done everything else, right? We've won an SEC title in Kirby. We've won the SECs three times in a row. I know not last year, but there were three years in a row we won it. We won an SEC title. We won a Coastal playoff game, we won that Rose Bowl, came with an overtime, just an eyelash, a blown coverage away from winning a national title. We have done literally everything you can do except win a national title. And on top of that, I think this is Kirby Smart's, most talented and complete team. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, I do. Especially I, I think, like the I, leadership and everything, like yeah. all of those pieces there.
0: Yeah. And look, the defense, as we just laid out, I think will be just as good at the very least this year. And then of course, as you were alluding to, Curtis, we have the potential to be far more explosive, far more dangerous offensively than we have ever been under Kirby Smart. I think he's finally figured it out and, and evolved offensively, let his, let kind of let the reins loose a little bit there. And we have the quarterback, right? If we had the quarterback from day one last year, we might have, we, we might have been in the playoffs last year if we had the quarterback. Well, day and the one, COVID
2: this year. So, I mean, boy, there is COVID, but
0: they've, well, um, it's not. A, it's not hampering practice. Right? Yeah,
2: they've been able to have spring practice. They've been able to get together on campus before June. Like there's all these yeah. things that didn't happen last year with a new coach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, think about what's been the weakness offensive. Sure, scheme. Yeah, I think that's fixed now. I really do with Munkin Quarterback's been an issue. We, we've been good at quarterbacks. Haven't been elite. I think we have a chance to be elite this year. Remains to be seen. I think we have a better chance than we ever have under Kirby Smart. Wide receiver, especially in 2019, was a problem. This year. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think we might be the best receiving group in the SEC. I know that sounds crazy to people because they have to prove it. They have to prove it. But I think by the end of the year, we might be. I think there's a good chance we'll be saying that. So if you look at all of that, I think this is Kirby's best, his most talented, most complete team. I think his. it's, it's – and also Alabama is going to be good. We know Alabama will be good, right, Curtis? But – is oh. this a vintage Alabama team? I'm not so sure. I don't think so. I don't yeah, I don't I don't think so either. So if we can get to the SEC title game, I think this is our best chance to be Bama to this point because I think it's probably the weakest Bama team we will have potentially faced at this point if we are lucky enough and fortunate enough and do what we gotta do to get there. So yeah, I think this like I think it lines up for us to have a national title, at least a playoff run. So yeah, at this point, we've done everything, Pot- potentially your best team, but I think will be his best team. So yeah, I think I'd probably lean towards Natty or Bust here um let's go through and Jonathan wanted to ask some of the other seasons we felt that way uh I basically the early Mark Rick years like 2002 three four kind of felt that way 2005 not as much because we weren't sure like DJ we knew he was good we didn't know for sure how he. I think to you always kind of
2: think the year Stafford came back like, oh, Stafford like we, were, we were
0: consensus preseason number one that year and I don't want to say we fell on our face but we kind of fell on our face we did we weren't as good as we should have been I guess maybe we read, read some of our press clippings went to our head I don't know we just weren't as good um 2018 I had high expectations coming off that 2017 season. And I think we I mean we were right there. We should have beaten Bama. We blew that game in the in the 2018 SNC title game. We had a chance there. Absolutely had a chance. 2019 I had really high expectations also, but then we had the receiver injuries, just didn't know that was gonna happen, and that kind of derailed everything there. But, yeah, I think, honestly, my expectations, my hopes are as high as they have been since maybe 2008 preseason, as you mentioned. Probably as high as they've been. I've had some high expectations because we are a good program, and we should have high expectations. But I think they're as high as they have been since 2008. Yeah. All right, moving on here, Chris. We have a a quick little recruiting question here. This is from Ellis. Thank you, Ellis. Appreciate it, man. Ellis asks, what do you think Georgia's chances are with Shamar Stewart and what player would you compare him to? So if you guys aren't familiar with Schmarster, I think he's the number seven overall prospect in the 247 composite right now. He's a defensive lineman. He's like 6'5", now about 260. So he's kind of a tweener. Is he a five-tech in, the, in, the, in a 3-4? Is he going to add weight and be an interior defense to tackle? I don't know where he fits right now. But, Kurt, first let's answer that first part of the question. How much of a chance do you give us to land Schmarster when it's all said and done?
2: I'm not giving us a good chance. I think he's going to head to the U, kind of stay home type thing.
0: Yeah, I think we're in it, you know. I mean, he's certainly listening. He's he's allowing us to recruit him. And you can never count Kirby Smart and company out. We've seen that time and time again, year after year after year. But I would not – I would certainly not say we're the favorite. I would – at this point, I, would, I think I would be, feel comfortable saying I would be surprised if he end up committing to Georgia. But it's not impossible. We've seen Kirby Smart do some crazy things on recruiting front and, and pull some guys I didn't think he was going to pull. But, yeah, I think staying home to you might be the the odds-on favorite here. I'd rather go there than than Florida or something, to be honest with you. A uh, player comparison. What about Jadavion Clowney, Kurt?
2: I think he's too much of a tweener. I'm actually gonna go with the Xavier Henry. Or Xavier, um, Ooh. not Henry, but the guy who went to Clemson. Thomas. Who is who's who's, who's yeah, who's never truly made the impact Yeah, he had, he, had good, he, had was, he had a good
0: sophomore, lead. he had a good freshman year, sophomore slump, and then last year had the COVID issues. I can just see seems that. like that. I think I just, and I, the reason I say Jadavion Clowney is like it's just the way he looks right now. I don't know what he will grow into. But if you look at him now, I think he looks a lot like Jadavion Clowney did when Clowney was at South Carolina. I mean, Clowney was about the same size coming out of high school. I think he was like 6'5", 255, I mean, very similar size. They're both tall, long and explosive and powerful that I think he reminds me of I'm not saying he's going to be Jadavion Clowney in, in college I mean Clowney was ridiculous when he wanted wanted to be good he didn't always care but when he cared he was insanely good but I, right now and look I will say I haven't seen Shamar Stewart's junior tape I don't know I don't, I don't know if there's I don't know I haven't I, I can't find it anywhere so what I'm going off of is his sophomore tape so he's probably grown from now and maybe he looks different but what I saw from him as a sophomore he reminded me a lot of Javion Conley, just on the hoof, the way he – just kind of his physical profile and the way he played. But I can, I can see the, the Xavier Thomas. I can see that. I can see that. All right, Kurt. next up here we got a couple questions about D-Rob. Of course, you guys by now all seen this. We know that Demetrius Robertson has transferred from UGA is now going to be attending the, I guess, Auburn University. Uh, so, yeah, he'll be on the plane. So, Brent asks us first off here, what do you make of D-Rob transferring to Auburn, fair or foul?
2: Uh, I mean, it's fair, like – especially with, with the way everything is. Am I happy about it? No. I, you know, before I said I didn't wish him. I wish him the best and everything. I don't really wish him the best now. Like, I don't want him to be injured. Maybe he can have a great game against Oh, you can still
0: wish him the best, though. Come on. Just, I mean, just like, not
2: when he plays us.
0: Yeah, of course. Yes, I don't want him to have the – I I would prefer him not have, like, a, an awesome game against us. But I wish the kid the best. I'll, I've never met D-Rob, but people I know around town who, who know the kid, who are around him, I've never heard a bad word about him. In fact, I've heard them just say glowing things about the kind of young man he is his personality, how he treats people. So I am absolutely rooting for him as long as it doesn't impact Georgia, right? Does that sound terrible? Uh, But, of course, I don't want anything bad to happen for him. And I really – I will say this also. I'm not 100% sure he had a chance to come back to Georgia. Um, There were some things out there that you guys I think are aware of. I don't want to put it – but I just – I'm happy for him. He's found a landing spot, and I hope that he has a lot of success and, and has a year where he can maybe make an NFL roster next year. I hope that happens. All right, Sam asked Curtis, "What impact do you think D. Rob will have on Auburn's team this year? When it
2: comes to impact, he may have a good impact just because the biggest thing is Auburn doesn't really have that many weapons coming back offensively um, outside of Tank Bigsby. So he is the deep threat that Auburn likes to have. It will be interesting because you just I don't think anyone here really knows what to expect with Bobo." Um, you know, everyone claims that he's like the perfect guy for Bo Nix, but Bo, he, I don't, I've never seen him really coach a Bo Nix who likes to run around and do I'm all I'm not sure
0: things. you can fix Bo Nix in one offseason. I don't know. Yeah.
2: But um, I i think he'll fit in just because the reps will be there.
0: That's the thing. It's like, I think he'll have more of an impact on, at Auburn than he would have at Georgia because. There's just opportunity for playing time, as you said. I mean, you're, Seth Williams gone, Anthony Schwartz gone. I mean, how many catches those guys? I don't have in front of me right here, but think – I mean, th- that was their passing game last year was those two guys and Tank Bigsby. So Tank's back, but as far as receivers go, I mean, they're losing their, their two guys, and Eli Stove is gone too. So there's playing time to be had there, and I think that he has a chance to come in there and, and earn a spot. I mean, with, with Harson, they'll probably have – typically, Boyd State, it's a three-wide receiver starting group. So I think he has a really good chance to come in there and, and start right away, and if not, get a lot of playing time. So I think he will help them, but I just don't see D-Rob being like a game-changing type transfer. Do you see that? No, no. Not yeah, I, I don't see him gonna, I I and I hope I'm wrong there for him. As, again, as long as it's not when they're playing us, but I just – I don't see him. Like, what what evidence do we have at this point that D-Rob is going to be a game-changer for Auburn? I just – I don't see that. I think he can be a good a, a good player for them and make some plays because he's going to have to have somebody – but I just don't see him being like a top-level wide receiver because you would think he would have done that by now if that was in him. Just putting that out there. All right, uh, moving on here, Curtis. I actually have a basketball question, a little summer basketball question. This is a good one, too. I really appreciate this. This is from Guy. Thank you very much, guys. This is a great question. I, I wish we had more time to, to dedicate to this one, but we'll give it the best shot we can here. So what he asked, Curtis, is what will it take to get Georgia basketball going? We hired a big-name coach. We got a guy drafted number one overall. Still nothing. Look at the Hawks' popularity. This area is star for basketball success. I know I am. It's an interesting question. This probably deserves an entire episode. Maybe we'll do that later on uh, as we get closer to the basketball season. But right now, real quickly here, Curtis, in just a couple of minutes, w- what is it going to take to get Georgia basketball going? Or is it even possible to get it's Georgia a simple, basketball going? It's as
2: simple as recruiting. I mean, yeah, we had Andy go. Edwards, but that's one guy.
0: You saw and we had nobody else. Everybody else we had around him was young and not ready.
2: Exactly. That was that was his problem. He had to shoulder the load and he couldn't do it all. I mean, it's, that was unrealistic. Um, and it's as simple as that. Look at Alabama back on the map now with um, Nate Oaks and everything. They're recruiting at a very, very high level. And, you know, we've touched on before their facilities no better than ours and all these different things. So to me, it just comes down to recruiting. And Saying Tom Crean's a big name is, I think, a little bit of a stretch. It is a well-known name, but I don't think it's one that you think is going to come in and recruit lights out either.
0: Big name by Georgia basketball standards, I guess.
2: Yeah, but it's just as simple as recruiting. I mean, that's really the yeah. whole thing.
0: I'll take it. I'll take it one more step further. I I do agree, hundred percent. That's about players. So to me, it's about getting the right coach that can get those players. You have to get a dynamic personality that can recruit. It's as simple as that. You're right, Curtis. Like, and, and Cream, like, he has recruited some good players in the past. Like, when he was in Indiana, recruited Zeller, Thomas Bryant, recruited some good players. But the thing was, he's not done it at a school with our lack of basketball traditions. One thing to recruit those kind of players to Indiana. And it's a whole other thing to recruit those players to Georgia basketball, right? It's a whole different animal. It's like, hey, yeah, you know what? Indiana football is not going to recruit the same players as Georgia football, right? Because that's what we do. It's not what they do. It's the inverse in basketball. Now, I will say, we have seen it done. We have seen programs that have about the same level of basketball success as us historically all of a sudden now jump to the forefront of college basketball. Auburn, I think, would be the most glaring example, right, with Bruce Pearl. LSU has some success historically going back, you know, the Merovich years, Shaq, all that. They've always been like a dynamic basketball program, but under Will Wade, they've been really good because he's gone out and, and say what you want about him cheating. Hey, that's part of it too. Him and Bruce Pearl, and that's another, that's another element here. Is our basketball program, our, our our athletic department, is not going to take any risk because we've had like we're not going to hire a coach that's going to be any sort of risk to do some of those kind of around the edge kind of things, right? We're not going to be doing anything like that because we've had some issues going back to Herrick on our own. Of our own in the past, and we're just not going to tempt faith there. So we hire guys that are more safer hires who are going to do things the right way. Which I love. I, I I like that we want to do things the right way. But the problem is other teams. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it the right way, but other teams are not doing it the right way. Bruce Pearl, LSU, and they're getting caught, and they're still and nothing's happening to them, and they're able to go out and still recruit these these players. But you're right, it's all About game players, and you got to find the right coach. I would preferably like to find a young, dynamic coach that can recruit and get those guys and do it the right way. But it's as simple as that. It, 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 but it's 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 that simple, but it's hard when you have to recruit to Georgia basketball. Does that make sense, Kurt?
2: Yeah, I agree. Like you,
0: like you have to be like extraordinarily dynamic to be able to compensate for that. And I think Kareem can recruit. I think he can get guys at certain programs. But I don't know if he's as dynamic of a personality and a, as dynamic of a recruiter to be able to consistently compensate for w- – what program he is currently recruiting for. I think that's the problem right now. I think he's a good basketball coach. I think Mark Fox was a fantastic basketball coach, but Mark Fox just couldn't recruit, couldn't get the players in here. That was the problem. I thought he was a really, really good coach. Now I slowed, slowed down offensive pace, didn't love that necessarily. He was a good coach. And that's, I mean, we won the games we won and guys as close to making the tournament as we did, even when we only made it twice in nine years because he was that good of a coach, but problem was he just was coaching up players that had a long way to go and he couldn't get the big time players. So that's, what's got to change in a a very short little segment there. We'll try to cover that more in depth as we get closer to the basketball season guy, but that's a great question.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads.
0: Got time for one more quick one here. About three minutes. Last question. I love this, Darren. Thank you, man. I know it's football season, and we know football is our number one sport. That's what we all live and die for. That's what we all we all love first and foremost. But you guys know we like some some Georgia tennis here as well. And Darren has an off-season tennis question. So we appreciate it. Darren says, or ask, what are the expectations for next year's teams? I'm guessing especially high for the men after only losing one senior and adding some quality recruits. Kurt, what you think, man?
2: The girls, I'm not sure. After losing Cap, that will be the biggest thing. But the men, I think you do have to have high expectations. Um, you know, finally coming back, last year was a better year than what they had the year before. Um, and you know, there won't be a COVID um, as much COVID restrictions. You're hoping. Um, so yeah, you are hoping that they are going to have high expectations for the men. But the women, I think, I mean, they recruit at a high level. They just don't have the Katarina.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good way to look at it. I think on the surface. What most fans look at and say, if you look at what both teams have coming back, you we say, well, yeah, the men are going to be better next year. And I think the men are going to be awesome next year. Uh, you are right, Darren, in that we are only losing one senior, but I don't know how many people caught this. I know it kind of flew under the radar, as a lot of tennis things tend to do, college tennis things. But rising junior, He's really a third-year player, but the COVID year or the 2019 year got cut short. And everyone got their extra COVID year, so they technically kind of called him a freshman last year, but it's really a second year on campus. But Tyler Zink has transferred out of Georgia, and he is now in Oklahoma State, where he's going to play court one over there. He played court two for us last year in singles and played court one with Trent Bride as a doubles duo, and they were ranked pretty high inside the top ten for most of the year in doubles. So that's a blow. That certainly hurts, but I have it on very good authority that that was not unanticipated that was something that our coaching staff was very aware of was a strong possibility and that's why we went out and recruited a guy named Hamish Stewart from Tulane he is transferring into UGA next year he'll be a part of our team he'll probably slide right into that number two single spot Phil Henning could potentially move up from court three to court two he's played court two early in his career so that'll be a battle there but Hammond Stewart almost certainly play on somewhere in our top three singles courts. Probably, if I had to guess right now, just kind of slide in where Tyler Zink was in court two. And guys, at this point, he's been a better player in his career than Tyler Zink has. He's essentially a top 25 caliber singles player. He was kind of hovering right around the top 25 for most of last season. That certainly, at the very least, softens the blow of losing Tyler Zink. And I, 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 if you're curious on why Tyler Zink would transfer and he was playing court two and has a great future ahead of him... I've always heard really good things about Tyler Zink uh, as an individual. I and mean, When you watch him play, he seems to be a quiet, kind of introverted young man, All, always rooted for him. I mean, he's a Georgia guy, always seemed like a really nice kid, and everything I've heard about him is that he is a good dude, but um, as you guys who are around youth sports, a lot of it's not a youth sport level, but you know, youth, college sports, whatever you want to say, sometimes there can be some overbearing family members, and it seems like that. Might have been the case here, so I wish Tyler the best of luck, and I, I'll also say this. I think it might just—it it might be a good thing for just our, our team chemistry for us to kind of have a little bit of a change there. Again, not anything bad about Tyler. Seems to be a fantastic young man, but I think just uh, some of the things that go on behind the scenes sometimes within programs, I think it might help our team chemistry a little bit To uh, for him to go his separate ways. I think it might help him because now he gets to play what, what he wants. He gets to play court one and do all that at Oklahoma State, so best of luck to him but we'll be just fine. We were prepared for this. It's not like Manny and Jamie don't know what they're doing. Trust me, they do. And I'll just say, like you know, one of the things that's made Georgia tennis so successful over the years is that it is Georgia tennis. We have this Georgia tennis culture where you put the team first. And if you aren't necessarily all the way bought into that, it might not always be the best fit. And look, it, I will say this, like for tennis players growing up, you don't really play team sports. You're an individual player. So it is. it's kind of a unique situation to come to college. It have to be part of a team. Now, I, I think you get to be part of a team, if you ask me. I think that's one of the beauties of, of team sports, is you get to be a part of a team, but that's a different adjustment for for a lot of these players who come in. They're really highly rated guys and girls, that, and they've played all over the world in these big tournaments, and they're playing for themselves, and you come into college, and now sometimes you might want to say, I don't want to say ego necessarily, but you have to kind of humble yourself to a degree and do what's best for the team. If that means you don't get to play court one, that, doesn't, that means you don't get to play court one, and and we've had a really good culture of guys accepting that over the years at Georgia, and it's been one of the keys to our our success. Our, I mean, really, just our dominance in the SEC, and, and been one of the two the, the true tennis blue bloods out there. So anyway, we'll be okay. We were prepared for this. Got Hamish Stewart coming. Also, got an Tristan McCormick coming in from Notre Dame, who's a really good doubles player, big guy. So that'll be a, a nice addition as well. And we've got a really talented group of young players coming in as freshmen. Headlined by Miguel Perez-Pena from Spain, who's won a bunch of junior titles. We also have a guy named Thomas Paul who's a top five prospect. He was actually on the team. He, he came early because obviously it was COVID issues. So he just he was from Washington. So he came in. I, wouldn't want to be, I would not have wanted to be in Washington all last year. right? So he comes to Georgia. and comes a little early. And he was on the team, wasn't playing. Because he didn't get here until January. He wasn't around for the fall. But he'll be a factor this year as well. I'm really kind of excited to see what he'll be able to do so the guys are they're gonna be awesome they are loaded Trent Bride is the guy on court one here's what I will say about the guys if they they made huge strides as the year went on we talked about this before during the season they uh, had a couple of key injuries to Trent on court one hurt his back and Blake Kreuter right at the start of SEC play hurt his back against Tennessee in that first matchup and they were out for a while even when they got back they were not completely healthy Tyler Zink himself was dealing with a little bit of a COVID issue so we were dealing with some things and it was it was tough going there to start at the SEC, but we really really went on a run. We beat North Carolina, who I think honestly might have been the best team in the country last year. We played lights out and knocked them out in the Sweet 16. we were able to get to the lead A, and we fell there. But this team is pretty much everyone back outside of Zing. We're bringing Hamish Stewart. Losing Billy Rowe on Court Five singles and Court Two doubles is going to be it's going to be tough. Not because Billy's like the greatest player ever. Billy's a really good tennis player and he won some clutch matches for us. I mean, his performance in North Carolina to clinch that match when it was tied 3-3, I mean, oh my God, man, just what an epic performance by Billy. That was incredible, and he was a really great leader for for the team, and in some ways, I might even call him the heart and soul of the team, even though he was only there for one year as a grad transfer coming in from Vanderbilt, but we'll miss him, but we have pretty much everybody coming back, and I'll say this about the guys, but if we if we want to take that next step and go from like making the Elite Eight to like winning a national title, I think the key is Trent Bride has to take that next step and become a dominant court one singles player. Trent Bride is very, very good. he actually play playing the BBNT Open here in Atlanta, in Atlantic Station in a couple of weeks. He's a really good player. And he can hang with the best players in the country. I mean, he hung with guys like Liam Draxel from Kentucky, who was number one in the country going into the singles tournament, and Gabriel DeCamps from UCF, who was flat out awesome. Henry Squire from Wake Forest, who is an awesome player. Alexis Galarnew from NC State, who is his UTR is in the 14 range. He actually beat him in Athens during the indoor season. So Trent can play with and occasionally beat the best players in the country. He absolutely can, but he's got to get to where he's actually not just playing with them, and competing with them, he's got to get where he's consistently beating those guys. He's not quite there yet. So, in the grand scheme of things, he's really young and he was doing the back injury last year. I'm convinced that Trent, once he got the back injury, when he came back, even when he came back, I don't think he was the same. His backhand just looked different. I don't think he was the same guy. But he was even with that being the case, he was still competing with those guys, the Adam Waltons from Tennessee, all those kind of guys. He was competing with them. And right there, it's just a point here or there. But really, it's just those like tennis, the, especially college the margins are so small. It comes down to the big points, big point here, big point there, and he just didn't win enough of those. But I think Trent has the ability to do that. Trent moves extraordinarily well. I think that's the strength of his game he can get to so many balls. I think his forehand and his serve really came around this year, especially before the injury. I think he was hitting the ball harder with more pace than he ever had been. But I really like Trent's game. I think Trent can be really, really good, but we just need him to have a really good offseason, take that next step and become a, a more dominant court one player. I think he's the best court one player we've had in a number of years. But I think there's another level he can take his game to. And I really hope to see him get to that. Because if he does, then all bets are off. We can win the national title for sure. Even if he's not that level good, I think we still have a shot. Because we are so deep all across the board with Hamish Stewart coming in. Phil Hitting is awesome on court three. Blake Carter, when he's healthy, is lights out on court four. Be interesting to see how court five plays out. We're losing Billy there. we have some options. Baptiste Anselmo is the guy who's on the team this year. Might have the best serve on the entire team. But has to kind of round out the rest of his game to go along with that serve. But Miguel Perez Pena, Thomas Paul they'll all have a say in it as well. These freshmen come in. And then Eric Gravilius, who I love. I love Eric Gravilius on court six, man. He has a, a kind of a finesse game. But he's so crafty there on court six. Love watching him play. So, yeah, we're loaded. I think the guys can certainly make a run next year. But. Curse, I'm going to say, don't count the girls out. I know that we lose Katarina, and it's really hard to imagine that the team can be just as good, if not better, when you lose a player of Katarina Jokic's stature. Who, I mean, look, I haven't been watching Jordan Tennis from the dawn of time. I'm not that old, but as far as I've been watching, and people I talk to have been watching longer than I have. I mean, she's as good of a tennis player as I've seen at Georgia men's or women's. She's just that good. She's insanely good. Like, mean, one of the all-time greats at, at Georgia's, especially on the women's side. One of the all-time greats. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Tough to say you're going to be better when she moves on, but I really actually think there's a chance we might be just as good, if not maybe even better next year. I know that sounds crazy. Hear me out. We talked about Leah Ma all season long, Charlie's favorite player out there. She loves Leah. Leah's fantastic, guys. She was playing court two. She was young last year, but she really, really started to turn it on towards the end of the year. She uh, beat Natasha Sub, Subhash, I think that's how you pronounce her name, from Virginia. She was a top 10 player in the uh, NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16. And look, no, I'm not saying she's Katarina Jokic. She is not. Not right now. Not at this point in career. I think really what separates them is just like Kat was such a ferocious competitor. I'm not saying that Leah is not competitive and she doesn't want to win, but there are times where it's just, just from like watching from the fans perspective where she might sometimes lose maybe saying lose interest is not fair but just doesn't stay like that doesn't have that consistent intensity maybe but she really started to improve that as the season one especially when it's crunch time in these big matches in this in the NCAA tournament I mean she was really really locked in and when Leah is locked in like that Oh man, she is extraordinarily talented. I will say this: there, she does not hit the ball quite as hard as Cat does. Cat has the most insane backhand, It's like just a ridiculous backhand. It's just a, a howitzer. It's a weapon. But Leah, I think, is a is it crazy to say more well-rounded player? There's, she can do more things on the court than Cat can do. I, in my very amateur opinion, I think there are some shots that she hits pretty routinely that just it seems so effortless that I'm not sure Kat does as well. Now, she doesn't hit the ground strokes like Kat does. Definitely not. Doesn't, doesn't really have the power game. But I mean, she hits the ball with plenty of pace, but she doesn't have the power like Cat. She doesn't have Cat level power. But there's just some insane shots that this girl can hit. And I think she can step in at court one if she continues to improve her game and be lights out for us. Maybe not quite as good as Cat, Because again, Cat's one of the greatest we've ever had. But I don't know if there's gonna be a massive fall off there. And then you've got to look at who we have coming in. Drake Bernstein, assistant coach Drake Bernstein, who really kind of heads up our recruiting efforts, he has done an insanely good job of recruiting, especially, I mean, for years now, but especially this coming year. I mean, we have just a number of high-level girls coming in. Ziva Faulkner from Slovenia, Mel Elizabeth Riasco-Gonzalez from Ecuador, Giramina Grant-Ruiz from Uruguay, all three of those girls Right now, their UTR, which kind of it stands, I we talked about this a little bit before. But in case you missed it, UTR stands for Universal Tennis Rating, and it really kind of gives you a, an idea. It's a formula of like the skill level of players, no matter what level we're talking about here. And all three of those girls, their UTR right now, before they actually start playing UGA, is higher than any returning player that we have next year. Now, Leah. Her UTR went down a little bit this year. She was playing court two, is by virtue of the caliber of players she was playing on court two. She wasn't playing like the court one players or the best players from the opposing team, so that kind of dropped her ring a little bit. Now Leah has been like an eleven one five, eleven two five or so in her in her past, so she's right there. She says she's basically that level. But basically, what I'm saying is all three of these girls coming in right now, they're at at least according to their UTR. They're essentially at a Leah Ma level based on their UTR. Now they got to come in and get the experience and, and you got to get acquainted to a whole new environment and program and all that can take time. And you got to play, again, you got to play team tennis for the first time. That can take time. But in terms of like their skill level, they will be as skilled as just about anyone that we have on the roster next year. And you throw in Mai Nurendern, who we just actually signed recently in the past couple of weeks. And she she's unrated right now with her UTR. She, she hasn't played in a while. But she's won a bunch of junior tournaments in the past. I think her UTR has been up in the 11 range before. Uh, basically, UTR, I, from my understanding is it's like your last 12 months of playing. I don't think she's played in a while. I think she was dealing with an injury, has some issues there. But she signed with us. So we are loaded with this class coming in. And the thing is, we don't need all of them to be great right away. We still have an awesome returning core. We still have Liam Ma. We still have Matt Kowalski, who I've said before, I'll say again, is my favorite current Georgia athlete. She's so much fun to watch. Such a crazy competitor. Just a ferocious player out there. And you've got Morgan Coppett coming back who played court four for us last year and really, really came on strong. She was the MVP of the the SEC tournament for us. And then we have Anya Hurdle who had a little bit of a health issue most of last year, but she used to play court one doubles for us. She'll be back and she, she, she should be healthy and ready to go. Allie Clayton hasn't played a ton for us, but she's been around for a while. And when she's gotten opportunities, I've been really impressed with her, especially on the doubles front. So we have a lot of we have we do have some holes. We've got we got, about, we got three single spots we've got to fill, but I think we have a lot of great options to work with there. So I think the women could be a contender. I think they will be, not could be, I think they will be a contender yet again, even we, even though we're losing Katarina, which I know sounds crazy. But if you look at who we have returning, that core, we've got a great coaching staff. We have an awesome group of young players coming, just highly rated girls. I think they're going to be really, really good too. So I think it would be another fun year for Georgia tennis, both on the men's and women's side. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. I know you guys have a lot of options out there. and We really do appreciate it. It's humbling that anyone would choose to listen to us. And we really do appreciate that. It's fun to just actually get to talk some football, man. We're getting closer and closer to the season, guys. I'll be back later this week with the second edition of our list season episodes. I was going to do my 10 worst games I've attended, but I'm going to push that back a week because I want to do the recruiting episode this week. I want to do the top 10 most wanted recruits because there are a couple of guys that might or might not be on that list who are going to be making their announcements here the next week or so. So I want to get that in before those announcements happen. So I'll do that this week. And the next week, I'll do my. I really don't want to do it because it's going to be very painful. But. I will do it. I'll do the uh, top 10 worst games, Georgia games that I have attended. And I'll also have the South Carolina scout in the episode that I've been working on. That I'll have for you guys as well. So, a lot of content. We're going to try our best, guys. I can't promise it'll happen every single week, but for the next couple of weeks leading up through the 2021 season, we're going to try our best to have three episodes a week. We've been having two in the entire offseason. We're going to try to get to three because we have a lot of content that we want to cover. There's a lot of things that we want to do, and we can't do it all if we only do two episodes a week. So, we're going to try to do that. I mean, Charlie's going to be out. She's actually, again, out of town. She's at the beach again. I'll be heading out of town again uh, in a couple of weeks just for a couple of days, and Curse Scott is law school internship to do. So we're going to have to work around some schedules to do it the rest of the summer, but we're going to try our best to do that for you. So hopefully that's good news for you. Give you some more Georgia content to look forward to, but thanks for listening guys. I really do appreciate it for Curtis. I'm Tyler. And as
1: always go dogs.